you have your copy of God's Word, let's turn together to Numbers 27. Numbers 27, our our text this evening begins in verse 12 and extends to the end of the chapter. And this is where our little journey on Sunday nights through the book of Numbers will end, even though there are several more chapters beyond. There's 36 chapters total in Numbers, but as you work your way back through, you'll find that there's kind of a reiteration of the the various ritual things that God's people were to do. In in chapter 31, they they go to war with the Midianites and execute God's judgment against them. Uh, But really, in many ways, the scene that we have before us is, is the natural kind of narrative conclusion of the book of Numbers. It's God telling Moses that his time has come to an end. And it's time to, to have a successor, someone who would lead God's people into the promised land. And in these verses, what we hear is, is not just Moses' concern, but God's own concern to continue to shepherd his own sheep. But in order to hear that, but, but more to have it actually penetrate our hearts and lives so that we see how God cares for us, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. So would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do come this evening to to close out this day by once again hearing from you. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray, come, open our eyes of faith tonight that we might see glorious riches in this portion of your gospel. And may we be led to Jesus once again, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Numbers 27, then beginning in verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, Go up into this mountain of Abiram. And see the land that I have given to the people of Israel. When you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. Because you rebelled against my word in the wilderness of Zin. When the congregation quarreled, failing to uphold me as holy at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah of Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Moses spoke to the Lord saying, Let the Lord, the God of spirits of all flesh, Appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eliezer the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey. And he shall stand before Eliezer the priest who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua And made him stand before Eliezer the priest and the whole congregation. And he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord directed through Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So at the last church I served, when I came there, I was the eighth pastor in 127 years. And so there was a lot of pressure on to stay. Um, They were used to long 
pastorates. I'll never forget my candidating weekend when Mr. George Curry, the grandson of the second pastor, who at that point was 91 years old, grabbed me by the arm and he took me into the hallway where the pictures of my seven predecessors were. And he said to me, Dr. Lucas, I, I hung all these men and someday I'm going to hang you. I said, Mr. Curry, I hope you don't hang me. Um, it was kind of a threatening kind of thing to be hung there. But, but during my seven and a half years at First Pres, I, I would regularly go into that hallway and I would look at those pictures of my predecessors, of, of A.B. A. Coit, who organized the church in 1882, Dr. E.J. Curry, Dr. McIntosh, Mr. Stanway, Ed Johnson, Roy Taylor, Andy Silman. And I would reflect on, on whether they faced times like I was facing in those moments. I would think about the challenges that they had, the faithfulness that they displayed. And as it happened over my time there, as I mentioned, I got to know Dr. Curry's grandson. In fact, I, I did his funeral about a year after I got there. As, as Mr. Curry was dying, I went to him in the hospital and, and I said, Mr. Curry, what do you want me to preach at your funeral? And he raised both arms to the heavens and said, just like my granddad preached the gospel. Okay, so we did. Uh, Mr. Stanway, the fourth pastor, his son was our clerk of session. I did a funeral with Ed Johnson. I regularly had Roy Taylor and Andy Silman back to preach. And in knowing those men and honoring their legacy, I knew that someday, as is now, I would be a predecessor too. Someone would hang me, hang my picture on that wall, and now my successor looks at eight pictures. And my deep longing at that time, and it continues to be five years later for my successor, is, is that he would know God's blessing on his ministry. Because I want my first pres people, my, my friends, God's sheep, to, to have a loving and faithful shepherd. Someone who will care for them now that I'm no longer there. That, that's what you hear in this passage. You hear Moses' heart for his people. He doesn't want them to wander from God as they did all throughout their wilderness journey. He doesn't want them to be destroyed by the world or by their very own hearts. He knows that his time is coming to an end, but he has a final request from God. A final request that God, the God who has shepherded him, would please provide a faithful shepherd for your people. As I say, here you, you see and hear the heart of a, of a pastor. But even more, in this passage, you hear God's own heart for his people. Because, of course, in the end, God's the one who shepherds his people. He's the one who shepherds his people through leaders and pastors whom he sends them. Even with all of their flaws. Even with all of their failures. Failures like, like Moses endured. Even still, God was shepherding his people through Moses. But he was also shepherding Moses too. After all, Moses was a wayward sheep. If we are reminded once again, a wayward sheep who needed God's severe mercy. You see the mercy that God shows to Moses in the instruction of verse 12. If you have your Bibles open, look again at verse 12. The Lord says to Moses, Go up into this mountain of Abiram and see the land that I have given to the people of Israel. Think of it, finally, after 40 years, 
40 years in the wilderness because God's people rebelled at Kadesh Berea. 40 years of Moses burying the first generation. 40 years of, of declaring God's promises to the people, and especially to the second generation as they're growing up, as he's dealing with their rebellion, as he's interceding and pleading for them, as he's judging them and correcting them, as he's caring for them. 40 years of wandering to the promised land. But now, now Moses will see the promised land. He was to go up to the Byram mountain range. He'll eventually make his way, Deuteronomy will tell us, to Mount Nebo in that range. And God tells him to, to look from the east side of the Jordan River, across the river, to look into the promised land. But this looking... It was more than just looking. This looking was more than just seeing the promised land. The British pastor Raymond Brown observed that in Hebrew legal practice, the act of viewing the land is actually part of the formal process of purchasing the land. And so God, in allowing Moses to view the promised land, was actually using that viewing as part of the formal process of acquiring the land for God's people. He was giving Moses legal assurance that, that the promised land would in fact be possessed, that, that all of Moses' labor for God's people over 40 long years, it wouldn't be wasted. God's people would get safely home. Moses wouldn't be there to see it, but by seeing the promised land, looking into it, previewing it, God was assuring Moses' heart it would all come true. This was a mercy, a wonderful, tender mercy that God was showing to Moses. And yet, though it was a mercy that, that Moses was allowed to see the promised land, we have to confess it was a severe mercy. It was a mercy with rough edges because Moses wouldn't actually get to go into the promised land that's verse 13. When you have seen it, God says, you also shall be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was because you rebelled against my word and the wilderness of Zin when the congregation quarreled, failing to uphold me as holy at the waters before their eyes. Once again, Moses is reminded of the reason why he would not enter the promised land He's reminded that he too will die with that first generation whom he buried. He too will, will identify with them in their sin, in their rebellion, in their judgments. How hard that had to have been. To be able to come that close to the promised land. To be up on a mountaintop and to be able to see in it 20 miles maybe. 20 miles to the promised land and and to be told, you won't get to go in. You won't get to enjoy the fruits of that land that you have longed for for, for 40 years. It was a severe mercy. A mercy with, with rough edges. And yet even this severe mercy was a mercy still because God said, no, instead, you also shall be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. Moses, you're going to the real promised land. You're going to the place of my presence. You are going to see your people once again. You're going to see your brother Aaron. 
You're going to see your sister, Miriam. You're going to see your mother who trusted me to such a degree that he placed you on the waters in an ark so that I might deliver you and your people. You're going to see them all again. And so even though this is a severe mercy, it's a mercy still. Friends, I think this is the way God often shepherds us as his people, isn't it? Mercy, yes, but often severe mercies. Often mercy with with rough edges. Sometimes there are afflictions that enter into our lives that that wean us from this world. They're severe and they're harsh. And we wonder, God, why are you doing this? And yet in those, those severe times, they're actually merciful times. Because God is actually using those those difficulties to shepherd our hearts in such a way that we draw closer to him. We find him to be nearer to us in those harsh times. That was the testimony of a friend of mine, a man named Doc Roberts, who owned the Sunflower supermarket chain in Mississippi. He was a member of our church at First Pres. When I got to town, it was right after his wife had suffered a stroke. For 14 months, she, she was debilitated until the Lord took her home. Uh, Doc tried all sorts of ways to, to try to bring his wife healing. He certainly had the money to use to, to get the best medical care. But in the end, she went home to be with Jesus. After she passed away and, and we had a funeral and many, many people from the town came and were near to him and comforted him. A couple months after that, we were at a local hamburger place and just catching up with one another. And I'll never forget this incredibly successful man who quite honestly was a, a once every once in a while church member. I'll never forget him looking at me saying, Sean, I, I would never want to go through what happened to Carolyn again. But, but I will tell you, I've never been closer to the Lord in my entire life than I am right now. And that's often how it is, isn't it? When God wants to show us mercy, it's often mercy with hard edges. It's often severe mercy, feels harsh to us. And yet God is still showing us mercy because he knows as he shepherds us, the best place for us is to be near to him. And sometimes the only way he can get us near to him is to bring difficulty into our path so that we are driven back to his own arms. That's how he was dealing with Moses. And yet Moses, as he's experiencing the severe mercy of God, his heart doesn't, doesn't engage in self-pity at this point, does it? My heart would have. Perhaps yours would too, but Moses' doesn't. Rather, his, his attention shifts to God's people, to their need for a man to continue to lead them, to continue to shepherd them. For someone like, someone like Joshua, notice Moses' request. It, it begins in verse uh, 15. Moses spoke to the Lord saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. Now, there's two parts to this request that Moses makes. He, he wants God to appoint a man who would lead. This, this language of going out and coming in before them, leading them out, bringing them in, it's the language of leading. It likely has a military connotation 
The same language will be used later in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 20, when God's people would ask for a king who would judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And God's people at this point surely needed a leader who would fight their battles as they went to take the promised land, someone who would make decisions, someone who would lead God's people, someone who would fight God's enemies. And so Moses was right to ask God for such a man to lead them. But he also wants God to appoint a man who would care, not just someone who would lead, but someone who would care. His great concern is that his people may not be as sheep who have no shepherd. Without a leader, they'd be wild and vulnerable. Without a leader, the the enemy might destroy them. Without a leader, they might even destroy themselves. But with a leader, with a shepherd, they would be cared for, and they would make it safely to the promised land. That was Moses' request, but but notice, notice God's response. It's verse 18. The Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit. Lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eliezer the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey, and he shall stand before Eliezer the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out. At his word they shall come in, both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. And so, so God would continue to shepherd his people through Joshua. Already God's own spirit dwelt powerfully in him. But now Moses was to signal the transfer of authority, the delegation of authority through the laying on of hands. That same action passes on to the New Testament in Acts chapter 6. When the elders lay their hands on the deacons to wait upon the tables. To this own day, when we ordain and install officers, what do we do? We lay hands on them, just as Moses did, just as the apostles did. Why? It's a sign of a transfer of leadership, a transfer of authority, a delegation of sorts. And so Moses was to signal this delegation of authority, his authority transferring to Joshua. And Eliezer was to ensure that Joshua would have plenty of direction from the Lord, access to the Urim, the, the, the seeing stones, if you will, that, that would respond in, to the prayers of, of God's leaders as they cast lots before the Lord. But above all, God promises that God's people would respond to Joshua's leading. God's people would go out at his word. God's people would come in at his word. And he would be a shepherd for God's own sheep. Through him, God would continue to shepherd his own blood-bought people. Of course, friends, God continues to do that today, doesn't he? He, he certainly uses human leaders to shepherd us. He uses pastors and elders. That, that's how the New Testament thinks of the office of elder. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter writes to the fellow elders, and what does he say? Shepherd the flock of God that's among you. The office of elder is not one of decision-making, of being in the room where it happens. The office of elder is, is to be a shepherd, to certainly lead. Certainly, yes, there are decisions to be made, to fight against the enemies of God's people, to be sure, but also to care, to come alongside in compassion, to make sure that God's people don't destroy themselves, that, that they're not destroyed by the enemy, by the world, 
God continues to shepherd his people through very human leaders. Sometimes they make mistakes. Sometimes they fail, like Moses did. And yet God, he condescends to our weak capacities by giving us flesh and blood human leaders called pastors and elders to shepherd the people of God. But of course, ultimately, God shepherds his own blood-bought people, yes, through human means, yes, through men, but ultimately, we are all under shepherds, under God's chosen one, in whom God, the fullness of God's spirit is, namely Jesus. Jesus is ultimately the one who shepherds God's people today. I, I, I trust you couldn't hear the words of, of verse 17, that this, this bit about that, that God's people may not be as sheep that have no shepherd without your mind going to the New Testament, and especially to Matthew's gospel. If you were to read Matthew chapter 9 toward the end, you find there a summary of Jesus's ministry, that Jesus was going through the cities and villages, teaching and preaching and healing. And then Matthew tells us, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And, and Jesus' immediate response was to tell his disciples to pray to God, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send out laborers into his harvest, that, that God would send out leaders to care for God's people. But ultimately, Jesus himself would do that. He will call himself in John's gospel, the good shepherd, the one who goes out in front of his sheep and leads them out into the pasture, the one who calls his own sheep by name and they know his voice and they follow him. The one who beats off the enemies to make sure that those who don't come in by the gate are prevented from harming the sheep. And ultimately, Jesus is the shepherd for God's sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. He sheds his blood so that, so that we might be rescued from the world. We might be rescued from the, the devil, our great enemy. We might be rescued from our very own selves. There at the cross, you see the severe mercy of God, don't you? At the cross, you see mercy with rough edges and nail points. For in order to show mercy, God had to be severe with himself. He had to bear his own judgment. In order for us to see and to enter God's promised land, heaven when we die and, and resurrection bodies in a new world when Jesus returns, the shepherd had to lay down his life for the sheep. And there's no successor to this good shepherd when he was hung on Calvary's tree, he declared it was finished. And when he was raised from the dead, he was raised in a resurrection body that he might shepherd his people forever. And he continues to rule over his people as the only king of the church and, and continues to declare his good word to you through the ministry of the word, the ministry of the sacraments, and prayer. And so if Jesus tarries, not only will you have me and other pastors and elders as shepherds, but someday, just as I've been granted grace to know predecessors here at IPC, like, like John Sartell and John Hardy and Richie Sessions, hopefully someday I'll know successors too. And there will always be a man to preach God's word and care for God's people, to lead and to care, to shepherd, so that you would not be as sheep without a shepherd. Of course, none of us will be if we come to know Jesus, because of course Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep and he'll make sure that we get home safely. Thanks be to God.
Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we bless you for this good closing word from this gospel according to numbers, this good news that you continue to shepherd your people. You raise up human beings, human leaders like Moses and Joshua to continue to lead in the midst of your people. You give us pastors and elders today to declare your word to us and to care for us, to shepherd us along the path. Thank you, Lord, for your continued care. But above all, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our true shepherd. You are the one who moves amidst your people. You are the one who checks on the condition of your sheep. You are the one who is pursuing us. You are the one who's leading us home. You are the one who goes out. You are the one who comes in. You are the one who cares. And you will take us safely home to heaven. Lord, we long to see you more and to know you better and to know your tender care for us. Lord, come then and meet us at this your table. Shepherd us here and feed us so we want no more. Grant us your grace, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to